Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. So happy to be back in your ear wherever this finds you. These conversations are about so much more than just relationship to other people. They're about and not only the interconnectedness to other people, but also the relationships within ourselves, the interconnectedness within all parts of us. I really believe that that is what our relational struggles are, and it doesn't have to be romantic, it can be any type of relationship, really just an invitation back to us to inquire about how we go about the world, how we make our way through the world. And do we actually express ourselves? Do we actually, are we living a life that feels really fulfilling? And I think because historically there was a lot of struggle and there still is a lot of struggle, we often feel like if we could be happy just by a choice, just by living a different life than we were taught to live, relating in a different way than we've observed in our families and our parents and our society and in media, that if we leave that, we'll be going into a space of uncertainty and we'll be leaving behind what we know. Even though what we know is painful, even though what we know is filled with struggle, And I see this a lot with people who sort of awaken or become, let's just call that like, start to become aware of the life they're actually in. They, and and so many things can be the catalyst to that. And so, so many things that wake us up to just saying, whoa, is there more to this? Am I really me? Do I allow this person to even love who I truly am? Or are we both just loving who we pretend to be? to keep everything together, to not rock the boat. And I got to tell you, you got to rock the boat. You got to rock the boat in a healthy way, not like go start a fight. But you got to rock the boat. Rocking boats changes worlds, changes relationships, changes lives. It's interesting because we're afraid so much to disrupt the worlds of the people around us that we live in a world within ourselves that is so lonely because we have abandoned our feelings so long ago, our thoughts. And this can happen from the moment of birth and even in utero, we're getting more complex. But it very often happens throughout our aging process that we we are taught who we need to be to be loved. So we become that and leave parts of ourselves. And so this is a reminder that you're allowed to be you that you're allowed to want what you want, even if it is not what someone else is, someone else wants. I made a post the other day that was about not settling. And anyone reading could read it in the context of what they thought it was about. It could be work, it could be your body, it could be anything, relationships. So many people react to that because they say the term not settling is what causes so many divorces. No, uh, actually dysfunctional relationships is what causes divorces. Marriage is not the problem. Dysfunctional relationships are the problem. And they're an opportunity for us to get better at relating. And here's what has always been true for me. And this is why when I tell you something, it doesn't come with an expectation for you. I actually, let me clarify that. I want you, I desire, it matters to me that you show up as the best version of you. It matters to me that you feel free to be who you are, that you, not through me, but just through this conversation, give yourself permission to come fully alive. Often what happens in that conversation about don't settle is that people have probably been left, and so they hate that term because someone might have been settling for them, and that's certainly happened over here, so... I get the pain that's in there. We haven't processed it yet. We forget that when people leave us, that it is actually the birth of everything. We're free. And this is not to dismiss the absolute pain of heartbreak, because you don't have to go that long back in my podcast to hear 
my own pain and my own grief. But it's to say that when will you decide? When will you decide that you'll have a hard conversation? When do you decide that you'll lay a boundary? When do you decide that you will tolerate no more from others and also from a lesser version of yourself? Which is not to shame the lesser version of yourself. It's to look at that version of yourself and say, I love you and I see you. And I know you've been telling me that we need to show up. And you've been telling me through all my physical symptoms and all the things that are happening in my body and my disconnection and my desire to isolate, the foods I eat, the choices I make. There's no shaming in that. It's really an invitation. An invitation to show up. And that's why this is about relationship, yes, but it is more so about you. Because the outcomes you get in relationship are reflective of choices you make and how you show up. And sometimes relationships will end because you show up, because you've said growth is a non-negotiable for me. Expansion is a non-negotiable for me. I might not have known that at 22, but that's true now. And what's true for you is allowed to change. What you want is allowed to change. That's the point of life is to learn. Is to learn, is to curate, is to bring, curate knowledge within you so that you can change your life. And that's what feelings really are. They're information. They're not to be numbed. They're to be inquired into. As Kelly Brogan says, that the ones who are the most sensitive, the ones who experience the depression symptoms, the anxiety, all the different things, she sees them as canaries, canaries in the coal mine that they're the ones who actually are more sensitive to the actual dysfunction of the world. And we are taught that we are dysfunctional. You're not dysfunctional. You're not broken. You're free. And you get to choose. And there's such a delicious thing, such a beautiful thing, but with the opportunity for choice comes responsibility to actually choose. So I wrote this uh, very short thing not that long ago. And it is, let yourself be abnormal, love that you're different, enjoy that you live outside the curve of the average, relish in the fact that your mind works differently, marinate in the truth that you were never meant to fit in. You don't need to continue to reject yourself, you need to reject the thoughts, beliefs, and people that cause you to treat yourself that way. You know what? It's time to color outside the lines, it's time to be... You know, the broken crown, shit, who cares, right? It's time. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got four play diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks. 
and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So after all that, this week um, I had the absolute pleasure of having a really wonderful woman on to talk about the subject of fertility, not just in the context of women, but in the context of human. And we talk about infertility challenges, her journey, and how to navigate our way through that, and what that might look like, and where infertility might be born from, and through just her own experience. And so I'm so excited for you to get your ears on this new podcast episode. Sending you so much love. Fertility, what a subject, especially for a man to be talking about, you know, to participate in a conversation about. And I feel very honored to be able to participate in this and and to have Jasmine Rose, who's a holistic fertility expert. So... Please, how do you, what is a holistic fertility expert? Hey, Mark, um, holistic fertility expert. It is essentially a combination between looking at the holistic way that we're looking at the body instead of it just being pigeonholed into this one pathway of looking at fertility. So I like to really encompass all parts of the body as well as emotional health and heart health when we're looking at our cycles and rhythms. Which is, I mean, it seems like the, most science or most interventions are moving towards this more holistic approach that we know that I used to work in pharmaceutical sales. So I worked with all sorts of specialties. I sold all sorts of products and I worked with obgynes. And I remember each physician was fascinating because they really thought that the world revolved around the disease area that they were particularly good at um, or the organ that they were a master at. You know, and so it was interesting to see the way their minds looked at the things through the lens of the organ, like cardiology versus um, nephrology versus endocrinology. So obviously, we know all systems influence each other. And so what a beautiful, you know, different path to be looking at fertility, especially because I've known so many women who've had fertility issues and stress about fertility and tried to seek anything anything. But at that point, they're so stressed. And I know a few people who the moment they stopped with all the trying, they actually got pregnant. Mm -hmm. So what is, is that something that you see commonly? Yeah. So my journey into this actually started with my own fertility struggles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always kind of been someone that wasn't really seeing very linear pathways when I was uh, put in a, a new journey. And when I started to see my own fertility as a struggle, I was actually quite surprised. You know, I felt like I was someone who I am a holistic nutritionist. I eat really well. I take care of my body. And I felt like it was, it was kind of a shock to me that I was somebody that was having fertility issues. And it really led me to see that we know so little about our bodies until we are in crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Like until there that is we don't a problem. About it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I see, I work with a lot of women and men actually, um, in terms of really looking at the fertility from a different place, like how can we actually see this as a pathway to starting to understand ourselves more? Because for so many of us, you know, we just go off birth control or whatever methods that we're using. We think we're going to get pregnant right away. And when we're surprised, it comes with so much heartache and grief because you feel like you haven't been given information that should have been your birthright of, of understanding yourself in that way. And so it can be a really painful journey for a lot of people. Well, it's fascinating because it couples with the subject of sexuality. And we know that that subject is something that people are terrified of. Uh, for the most part, we're not empowered in our sexuality. We're taught fear around sexuality. We're not taught about sexuality. 
So, of course, any form of intimacy that would then bring us, you know, to trying to create life, uh, there's no education really around it. Mm -hmm. You know, like my my talk about sex with my mom was so uncomfortable. You know, it was not a talk about sex. It was talk about uh, when two people get excited, they sometimes have sex. No, I've already had it, mom. You're too late. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, coupled with conversations, especially being in a female body, you know, Mm -hmm. we often are so confused around the conversations that need to come first. Right. So depending on what age you get your first menstrual cycle at depends on if you're actually already in sexual education. So you could very well be learning about sex before even really learning about your own body. Right. Mm. Like we're, we're always teaching about sex and reproductive health from a position of two people coming together, but not often we're actually like separating it and finding the individual power and exploration of your own sexuality, like the connection to your own self-pleasure and your and yourself. It's always about like the union of two people or creating life or trying to prevent something like pregnancy. So it's such a fascinating thing when we get into this journey and and you know we're struggling in the fertility space and so many people are struggling with fertility right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like and you know there's a lot of different studies when you go really scientific as to, you know, it's our food or it's the environment or, you know, Wi-Fi or there's so many different theories but what I've really found on my own personal journey and and how I work with people in this world is there's there's a lot of matters of the heart. Mm. And a lot of us are striving to have a deeper connection with ourselves. And so when we get to this point where we want to mother something externally or parent something externally, a lot of us are being asked to, okay, well, what about coming back to ourselves first? Like, can we take this time and space where we're essentially struggling with fertility, quote unquote, and really redirect it so that we can start to understand ourselves from a deeper place and maybe fill some of those gaps that are feeling really wounded from our own childhood. Mm, So if I understand this correctly, there is, I've certainly seen this for people too, but I'm wondering if this is the correlation that when someone gets triggered by the subject of fertility, the subject of having kids, the subject that can sometimes be this invitation to things that have been unhealed. You know, like when you think about having to parent something when you haven't parented yourself, I mean, that's a pretty daunting, you know, experience. I see like people that I know when their kids are sitting in feelings, they don't know how to sit in. They try to save their children from those feelings. So I would imagine it's sort of a similar thing. And I'm not saying all infertility comes from this or all infertility is an invitation to this, but it's certainly interesting. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. And I guess I feel like we, there is really this like one pathway that most people find themselves going down when they are heading into their fertility journey, right? Like there's something happening. Usually it's if you haven't gotten pregnant within a year, then they want to send you for external testing. And then you go down all these pathways of, you know, ultrasounds or um, seeing different specialists, but there isn't really ever a conversation of how you can participate, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like there's not really ever this, okay, well, I'm going to go down this very like protocol based way of looking at this, but there isn't a lot of conversation around, you know, okay, why are you wanting to become a mother? Right? Like, what is this coming from? Like, can we start having conversations around, um, you know, the very like, you know, get married, get in a relationship, get married, have a child, like go on this one linear path. We just feel Mm -hmm. like we should be getting pregnant now. Like this should be the time. And so for me personally, on my fertility journey, having that time and space as painful as it was, did give me time and space to connect deeper to my partner and to connect to myself. So yeah, there's just, there's so many different ways that we can look at fertility and the way that I really like to look at it is an invitation while you're going to all of these external appointments to really start connecting to yourself and using that time and space to do so. Well, it's amazing how much, especially women, are told that someone else is more of an expert on their body than they are. And I definitely want to acknowledge the immense amount of privilege I have just to be able to have this conversation, not from the space. Because I know that one time I was giving this talk and I said, 
uh, we were talking about how there's no transition for a man to or like a boy to become a man. There's no like traditional sort of thing anymore. Um, but for women, and this was said by Esther Perel, that's why I just really liked what she said. She said, there's something about fertility that makes a woman a woman, like when they get their period. And some people were actually hurt by what I said because they had experienced infertility. And so they thought I meant if they could get pregnant, that's but what I, and I now know to be more mindful of those words, that it really was about just the fact that there is a menstrual cycle takes a, a girl it becomes a woman in sort of that transition. Mm-hmm. And and so I want to be mindful that I know it's a very sensitive topic. It's a very loaded topic. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of, like we associate femininity with fertility. And so when there's a, not an access or like the the purpose of the body on the planet is thought to be for a female to create another life. You know, so I couldn't even understand what that's like to come and you've been through this. So what is it like to sort of come head to head with that? Yeah, I mean, the biggest word that comes into my head is worth, right? Like there's this feeling of your worth and your world being shattered by not filling that archetype of the mother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of fear can flood into the body that causes so many other body systems to react and want to keep us safe, right? And so it gets into this perpetual snowball effect of wanting to become a mother. And every single time you get your period, you know, I would find myself crying on the bathroom floor because you have this physical indication that it didn't happen again in this cycle. Mm. And, you know, being somebody that's in the journey has been on the journey. I have so much compassion for everyone in it because I feel like this is a conversation that's starting to rise a lot more. People are starting to talk about it a lot more. And there is still that tabooness around talking about infertility. It's similar to talking about loss of pregnancy. Mm. Um, You know, we need to start opening up these conversations more so that if we are feeling unworthy or we're not feeling like we're fulfilling our lives, at least we know that we're not alone and we have community. And what has been like on your journey? So were you trying to get pregnant and then the inability then led you down this path of like, okay, there's a lot happening here. Yeah. So I kind of started backwards. I'm actually a birth doula as well. And so I sit with women while they give birth. And so that was kind of my entry point into women's health. And then, that's a wild, that's a wild introduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, I felt like I started on the other side of things and worked my way backwards. You know, like Benjamin Button. But. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, but my husband and I had consciously decided that we were going to start for a family um, a couple years ago. And it was about a month beforehand that I actually started to bleed. Um, and didn't stop for almost a year. So I was in and out of doctor's appointments, getting multiple tests, seeing specialists, um, both. Hold on. Sorry. Can I understand that? So you were bleeding for a year? Yes. Um, Before you ever had a job, this just started happening consistently bleeding for, okay. So I wanted to understand what you were saying. hundred percent. And yeah, it's a lot to wrap your head around. And sometimes because it's my story, I, almost forget how crazy that is. But essentially outside of my normal menstrual cycle, I was bleeding every day and we couldn't figure out why. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, looking back now, like being on the other side of that Mm -hmm. and, you know, after going through a lot of deep inner work, now I I do see this very, you know, emotion-based and partially spiritual connection between that because, For me personally, on my journey, I feel like the resemblance of it happening just before us wanting to start trying is very significant to my story. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Because it was this actual indication of, for me, needing to really go into some darker parts of myself and my story and take the time to tend to me before mothering something externally. Wow. Where did it take you, please? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for being someone that I can share this story with because it is so massive 
And it took me down so many different pathways. I mean, I feel like I'm definitely one of those yes people where when I start a journey, I'm totally immersed in it. And this was something where I didn't really have anywhere to go anyways. You know, I had this visual representation that something was going on within my body. Um, And I did it all. Like I books and I went, I joined women's groups and I listened to every podcast and I just started to almost get invited to everything and anything um, without even really talking to people about it. It was just one of those things where everything was being magnetized to me. And I just said yes to everything. I ended up quitting my full-time job and just soul searching into what I really wanted to do in this world. Um, I worked with coaches and I started dancing instead of, you know, hitting the gym every day. Like I really just started exploring my femininity while also, you know, going to all of these medical appointments and and seeing doctors and specialists. And, you know, the only thing that was offered to me was to take birth control. And that just didn't feel right for me. And so I went to treat the bleeding. Yeah. So although I didn't show any signs of hormonal imbalance, um, they were hoping that if I started on birth control, that it would kind of force me into a regular cycle and stop some of the bleeding that was happening. But it just didn't feel right. And, And so I, you know, being a doula and really understanding how to advocate for yourself in the medical system, um, I just really took a lot of time to be really prepared before I went to my medical appointments and take the time to ask a lot of questions and made sure that I wasn't putting myself in a situation where I was going to be at risk of my health declining. Um, And as long as I got the green light from my care practitioners, I decided to just go really deep into nutrition and really starting to pick apart some of the trauma that I'd been holding in my body that I felt was being released in this very physical way. Oh, in relationship to preparing yourself to become a mother that was brought up for you to heal. Exactly. Yeah, it it makes so much sense that, you know, obviously the majority of our early childhood traumas, and that's big T's and little T's, are with our primary caregivers. And so when we're going to parent or seek the path of parenting, it makes sense that we're like, wait, uh... There's a few things you haven't looked at here. So we're going to invite you with some cosmic two by fours to to pay attention. And and I'm not dismissing the pain of those two by fours because I've been hit by them before many times. And so I'm curious, what was the first uh, or like, I guess, what were the most significant things that you were brought to process? Because I'm sure anyone listening who's been on, you know, in a in a relationship where you've either been the person who's experiencing their infertility or you're with a partner who's experiencing it, which I really think about shifting to we are experiencing because it takes the pressure off. And it, instead of it being the shame thing that lives over the head of the one person, it's like any sexual or couple's problem or challenge. As soon as you make it not the person's problem, but it's our thing, how do we cultivate an environment to heal what's actually happening for both of us? Because it's happening for both of us. So I'm curious, what was, what, give me the juice here. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like some of my core childhood wounds cut totally brought up to the surface. And there was things I didn't even really remember that were coming up. It was actually quite an interesting time for me because I feel like I was in this space of deep reflection because I was having to sit with it. Like, like it wasn't something that I could push away. I had this, you know, like I said a, a couple of times, this visual representation of being like, okay, we're still here another day on the journey. And um, sisterhood, like finding really deep community became like the most important thing to me in my life, because I feel like I didn't realize how strong I'd been my whole life. You know, I'd really been the in like survival mode. And although, you know, I had all my basic needs met and I have a beautiful family and I had all of the things I I felt like I was being strangled by um, the weight of my own strength, just wanting to be strong all by myself. And surrendering to finding community um, was a really integral part of me feeling safe to be able to process some of these really big feelings that I didn't even know were lurking in my body. And 
you know, being able to sit in community in that way and in really in an integral way um, and unpack some of these really deep, dark feelings. And, And it was essentially shadow work that I was going into gave me the opportunity to at least feel lighter emotionally while my physical body felt really heavy. Mm, As you were processing and releasing the layers Mm -hmm. for people listening who might not know what shadow work is. I mean, it's essentially like facing, turning towards shining a light on the things that we would keep in a nice little box hidden in the shadows of our psyche, of our unconscious but gosh, do they play a giant role in what we choose and what we sabotage and all the different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you basically brought the truth forward. Yeah, and I, I'm so lucky. I mean, I live in Vancouver, so I was invited into Rising Women. Um, for those of you who don't know it, it's just such an incredible sisterhood community. And so, you know, being in a room full of truth tellers who are open to share their story all of a sudden gives you permission to tell your truth. And for me, it felt like a lifetime that I'd been holding in some of these, you know, deeper, darker parts of myself. So to be in a room of sometimes 20 other women, primarily women that were willing to do the same, it was like my entire earth got rocked. Like I couldn't believe that there was this whole other way of living that I had never experienced before. And gosh, like what an incredible, you know, rock to get thrown into your face to be like everything that you know, can also be in in a different way that you haven't even explored yet. And that is like a phenomenal thing to explore. Which aspect of it? I feel like, you know, there's so many um, layers of disconnection in our world right now, right? Like it's really, really easy to feel disconnected and lonely and isolated. And for you to feel like some of the feelings that you're holding in your heart or some of the memories that seem like they need to be in the shadows, they don't. Like there is always, you know, to some respect, somebody else that has gone through or is going through what you're going through. And in a world where most of us feel really disconnected to find a way to feel connected and be, you know, in a space of some of the hardest moments of your life, but know that you're truly never alone. I think that that is one of the greatest gifts that we can find in another person. Mm, In community to get the mirror that other people have been through. It's this type of thing. You're witnessed, you're seen. It's interesting that we seek uh, the permission of other people's experiences to have our own, you know, having also, you know, it's sort of like when you see someone you're inspired by, it's usually because they're doing something you'd hope to do. And so it's a, in, are you open to sharing some of the stuff that, that you went through? Yeah. I'm all about honoring boundaries. So if you're like, no, Mark, stop it. (laughs) I'd be like, okay. Um, So I'm curious, what was like the most significant thing that came up for you first? What like that was living in the shadow that you saw sort of operating your life unconsciously? Mm -hmm. I, um, I come from like such a loving family and such a broken family system. My parents separated when I was really young and have both had, you know, multiple partnerships since then. And so I grew up around a lot of um, coming and going. And I didn't realize that there was this like little part of myself that was so scared of how fleeting love could be. And so there was always these parts of me that wanted to like be really nice and never say anything wrong and never ruffle any feathers, like essentially just always be a good girl because I felt like the love that was coming and going in my childhood was so fleeting that I always wanted to like hang on to every single moment. I never wanted any moment to like bring up anything other than happiness. And so the biggest feelings that came up for me when I started diving into my shadow work in with sisterhood was the range of emotion that I had been suppressing my whole life. Mm. I had never, ever gone into anger. Like anger was so absolutely terrifying for me. And I remember one of the first times that I was given the ability to explore anger in a really safe container. I was shaking. Mm -hmm. Like my body was physically shaking because I was so terrified to express anything other than 
happiness and being totally content or sadness. Sadness felt really safe because if I was crying, I could be held. But if Mm. it was anger, it was pushed away or I was overreacting or it was just too big of an emotion. So, you know, when you're almost 30 years old and you, for the first time, are exploring emotions that you've had in your body your whole life and they've never been expressed, it's like Pandora's box. Like all of a sudden you're like, there is this like a million different parts of me that I'm currently living with that I haven't even met. And that feels scary. Um, so exploring the depths of myself and realizing how much of myself I hadn't even met yet came with a lot of grief. Uh, and it came with just so much permission to finally understand who I was, who I am, which is changing always. Yeah. Who you thought you were, Mm -hmm. you know, that has to die so that, you know, like the good girl, the, I, I explored rage for my first time in a safe container, uh, about four years ago. So you beat me by age by a long (laughs) shot. I was also sort of one of my survival strategies was to smile all the time and be fun and all those things. So exploring rage to me, I had that same sort of, it felt like a colossal melting away, a colossal meltdown that was just like rage followed by, it was like a plug of grief was pulled and then it was just grief. Um, So I'm curious, like for me, my grief was a lot of probably that I had not felt this extreme of emotion. I'd not given my permission, myself permission to feel those things. I also had a bit of guilt for um, pulling my parents off a pedestal, you know, like bringing, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who I have an idealized uh, childhood. Am I saying that right? Idealized, idealized. A lot of people who have a pedestal childhood there, they, they say it was great, um, have a hard time actually calling out truths, I think, because they think it hurts the image they have of their parent and also brings into reality some unfelt things. So I'm curious if you, ha- did you get guilt and also your experience of the anger, did it unplug grief? Oh, yes. Like you've absolutely nailed that one. I remember the first time that I sat down and really like, humanized my parents I was doing an exercise where I was to sit down and just say some of the needs that weren't met by them or some of the memories that came up where I just felt you know anger any of the emotions that I've been suppressing and I I had such a hard time putting that pen to the piece of paper like I was so terrified there was a part of me that was just so scared to write it down to actualize it because I had really always wanting wanted to believe that everything was amazing all the time that I had this, you know, ideal life and I remember like writing it all down and crumpling it up so tight and then soaking it in water before I even put it in the garbage. My parents don't even live in Vancouver, right? But I was so terrified for anyone to see it because I had created this alternate reality of, you know, unrealistic (laughs) views of what my parents were like. And when I began to humanize them and really accept that, you know, I have some not so good memories it also gave me permission to deepen my relationship with them. Mm, yeah. Because all of a sudden I could see myself in my mother. I could imagine her as a woman that also had a childhood, that also had needs that weren't met. Like all of a sudden it all of the pieces started to make sense. And I was able to, you know, with a lot of grief and having to let a lot of that story that I'd created in my head around what my childhood actually was, I had to really let that go. But I was able to actually see them for who they were, which is, you know, it can be painful and it can be a door opening into a new way of relating. Well, it's like finally we're connected to the truth. You know, it's so fascinating that family systems are often, um, they pivot around ignoring certain truths you know, ignoring the shame of how either person shows up. I also find it fascinating that when you add a generation to the tree you look at in your family, it it humanizes our parents. Like if you see them as the children of parents, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. And you add another generation, you're like, holy shit. And when you think about all the systems that were at play and continue to be at play, but especially you go back one, two, three generations, I mean, especially for a woman, that 
like just all the boxes that were meant to be lived in and not to, you know, don't be crazy. Don't be out of control. Don't. And, and to have the space to now explore all that, I would, I'm so curious, how did it begin to affect your body? When I first started to understand like intergenerational trauma, my mind was blown. And I also felt so relieved because there was an element to what I felt like I was going through physically, where I was almost like, oh, I'm doing this for something so much bigger than myself. Mm. Like I really started to dive into my ancestry around the same time. And, and because I have grown up in such an interesting uh, family system, I had never really been that interested in looking at my ancestry. And for whatever reason, it ended up you know, coming through while I was in this journey. And when I started to look at the lineage of my mom and then my grandmothers and then my great-grandmothers and some of their stories, especially around trauma within their wombs and their reproductive health, I started to really understand that potentially there was like trauma-based wounding that was happening within my womb space, that this release and this, you know, bleeding every day for a year was something so much bigger than just my own trauma. And it was quite fascinating to go down that path. And I always said, I'm, I'm very interested in doing one of those, you know, ancestry tests, yeah. but I, but I won't because I have living grandparents right now. And so I'm trying to take the time to, um, you know, access them and ask them as many questions before I dive a little further, but it's, it's been a really fascinating part of my journey. Yeah. It's amazing how humans we don't think we're like other biological species because we have consciousness. So we're like, oh, we're, we have the exception to all rules. I remember I had Mark Wolin on here who wrote, uh, why it's not your fault. It didn't start with you, inherited family drama. He was sort of like a pioneer in that. And the stuff he was saying on the podcast were just like fucking mind blowing. I'd read the book and then was like, I got to get this guy on the, like, he's so fascinating. But I remember in the book reading about I mean, there's so much interesting research about intergenerational trauma and how it shows up, but just about how like a rat that smells a certain smell and then gets uh, shocked will avoid that smell th up to three generations later without the association with shock with the smell. And we're just like rats. We, it, the same type of thing occurs in us unconsciously. And I mean, I love what you said, because for me, the same thing occurred that when you realize to be a woman with a powerful voice and ask to get your needs met is such an act of courage to do it as a man. Well, relationships are designed around male needs generally. So it's not, I know that it's not like some devastating act of courage for me to pursue my passions and do that within a relationship. So it's so, but for me to be vulnerable and emotional is an act of courage. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how all of it is such vulnerable badassery. You know, it's like all acts of rebellion that just empower the warrior within us. Yeah. And I, you know what, I've always been told by my family that I'm really different. Like I'm, I'm very different from most of the people in my what family. What do they mean by that? Um, like my mom always says, like, I don't know where you got that from, or I don't know how you write like that, or I don't know how you learned all of this so young. You know, she's always, we're always having these conversations around. She's like, oh, when I was your age, like I didn't even have this awareness or, or whatever it might be. And I, I never, I remember my mom telling this one story. I was four years old and she was crying on the stairs. Um, she was going through something that day and I came outside and I asked her what was wrong. And, um, she just started crying and looked at me and she said, I'm just so happy to have you. And I grabbed her by the face four years old. And I said, but mom, I chose you. And she's always told me this story. Oh my gosh. She said from the time I was really young, I was in this space of just being, you know, extra vocal and, and always wanting to connect with everyone. Um, whereas a lot of people in my family are a little bit more reserved and, and don't really you know, have the the same boldness. And so I always took that into my journey. It, it was kind of a funny thing that kept coming back to me um, since this all began of just feeling like maybe my, you know, separateness or the, the ways that I don't necessarily always fit within my family system is actually like my courage key. And it has allowed me to go on this journey and heal a lot of what hasn't been healed in my line.
it's what we normally would exclude as the black sheep of the family is actually the, the sort of light bringer to the family, the person who's courageous enough to actually bring truth forward. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you told your mom, well, I chose you at four. <laughs> it's like, did I have Yoda? Like a, <laughs> a, cute, a cute little Yoda? We always laugh about that story. And I love, she tells it every time to me as if she's never told me before. So <laughs> it's, it's always really really beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what was, so you discovered inherited drama, you discovered that you had not been living in the breath of all your emotion. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what? One of um, my biggest breakthroughs, I feel like I've always been someone that has talked, right? I could, I, I could talk and, and see counselors and, and do a lot of talking, but there was an embodiment that I was missing like the true expression of myself and my feelings had really been missing from the way that I was trying to move through things and express. And I stumbled upon movement as a form of therapy and I was blasted right open. I started practicing this type of dance called Kundalini dance. And at that point I hadn't ever really dove into the feminine masculine and really taking away what it meant to be like embodied in the feminine essence. And when I started dancing, it was incredible how many emotions started coming through movement for me, like emotions that I couldn't even put words to. And that was really beautiful and powerful for me because I felt like that had been my one medium. And all of a sudden I found myself in this really non-linear dance practice and was having these very, very big breakthroughs in my emotions, again, surrounded by a community of people that were going through the same thing. And then it went on this whole other pathway of, okay, well, how can I explore parts of myself that aren't in my traditional, you know, talking it out or journaling or doing anything like that. And movement became a really big practice for me. And now something that when I'm sitting with anyone going through a fertility journey or even in my birth work or anything to that degree, I'm, I, I'm always up at the invitation of how can we get you in your body? Mm. Because we can be in our minds, our minds are so beautiful and they can feel really, really stressful when we're going through some sort of crisis or we don't feel like our bodies are actually working, like we're losing the trust, right? And that's something I see all the time when I work in fertility and then my clients do get pregnant. I end up being their birth doula um, and we have to work a lot to regain trust with the body in order to actually have the birth process unfold because so much of the process has been essentially people feel like they've given it away, right? They've had to go to practitioners or doctors to, you know, solve the issues within their bodies. And how do we bring you back to trust with your body? And the best way to Mm -hmm. do that is to get in your body, right? Move, but move in a way that isn't for a beach body, move in a way that isn't for some sort of result. you know, move for the sake of being in this body and in celebration of it. Yeah. And that was just a beautiful break breakthrough and something that I've brought so deeply into my work in fertility and birth because, you know, it's a lost art, just moving for the sake of moving. It really is. It's not something that uh, I went to a fitness class the other day that was designed with dance in it. Mm-hmm. And I was asking my friend who was teaching it, she's like, why don't you just come to my class. And I'm like, uh, tell me about your class. And she tells me about it. And I'm like, dance. Uh, Cause I would never, you know, after about five spice rum and Cokes, I was a good dancer <laughs> in my head, but this was the acknowledgement that I am self-conscious about it. Sober. And I'm sober all the time now. So I was like, I'm going to go do this cause it's uncomfortable. So I went and did it. And it's interesting to allow yourself to be embodied to to who gives a fuck what people are thinking about us, you know, when we're dancing, Um, especially when so much of what we're taught, regardless of gender or anything in between, is what other people think of you matters more than what you think of you. And that reclamation of of like authentic self-expression, getting to know your emotions, uh, owning your shadow, diving deep into what has shaped you, what stories you like, what stories you don't, and then actually getting in your body. I mean, it's... It's also natural and normal for an animal 
Mm-hmm. So interesting, though, again, what intellect and consciousness have done to us is that we've, um, I was listening to Ram Das, and he said, we, we praise the, we made the, we made the, uh, the professor, the priest. Mm. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, there's a guy who was a Harvard professor who got kicked out for using LSD. So he's like the ultimate achievement of a of professor, and then moved more to spirituality in it. That's why I love the idea of holistic because it really is, there is no one part of your system that doesn't affect another part of your system. And we always go to this solution where we've made, like we've made physicians gods, you know, and I'm not saying that physicians don't have a great role in our life. Absolutely they do. They're healers, but they're not the only healer. And when we make the healer outside of us, we are not empowered by us. You know, I, I, I love what you're saying because it gets me so riled up and excited because I think of work like Joe Dispenza's work where he's like, talks about the placebo effect that your body can literally create the exact drug someone else is taking and give you the exact result you want. Like, why can't we just consciously make that happen? And I'm like, fuck yes. Like there's so much healing available to us. But when we're in fight, flight, freeze, and we're caught in trauma responses and our nervous systems are locked up, our body's not like, hey, we should just chill out. You know, we should just kick back and have a kid. You know, it's more like, whoa, remember that thing that happened when we were four? I'm still there. You're 34 now. I'm still here. You know? Well, and even like, I love that you brought up the nervous system, right? Because so many, I was talking about kind of bringing more joy and more light into the fertility journey. Like this is essentially the the heart of my work is, you know, while you're over here and you've got protocols and you're doing all these things, like how can you participate in cultivating relationship with yourself? And one of the biggest things is finding play and joy in the process because it can be so painful and so dark that if we don't, you know, it's not sustainable for us to actually go through it if we can't bring a little life into it. But so many of us are actually really resistant to being in the joy or being in the play or being in the pleasure because our nervous systems have almost created this block of, oh, joy can be so fleeting. I think I'm just going to stay over here. And it just doesn't give enough space for the body to ever be able to fully surrender into the experience. Because even when we're on a, a journey, like, for myself anyways, being on a journey that's painful, you know, we're still in this body, we're still living every day, right? We're, we're still plugging away. And so we need to be able to find a way to enjoy life while we're on the journey or else, you know, we feel so depleted and so disconnected from our bodies and it can be so difficult to even go on the journey, right? To actually take the steps that we need to do to whether it's be to have a baby or on whatever other healing journey that you're on, like we need life in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so soothing the, ner- the nervous system and really having awareness around the nervous system and potentially whatever response that you naturally go to is really important to actually be able to cultivate the joy response as well. Mm, to allow yourself to experience the breath of emotion. You know, to uh, constantly be vigilant means you're going to be vigilant about your body's response to your expectations. And I, I had the real pleasure of sitting with a friend of mine who was experiencing infertility issues uh, not that long ago. And she said to me, we were, we were sitting in her car, and she said to me, you know, she had just gotten her period, and she was quite angry because of it. Because again, it let her down. And we had this really beautiful conversation where I just asked her, like, do you trust that your body has your best intentions in mind? That your body is actually saying, like, now is not the time, not yet. We have some things to formulate and see. And she said, yeah, I do. And we went through, like, why would she not trust her body and like some history and stuff. And it was really beautiful because not just being able to get that perception of seeing like how we often haven't treated our bodies well. We haven't eaten well. We, we are constantly angry at them that they don't look a certain way. And I can say that as a male too, I, you know, I spent the majority of my late teens and twenties praising men's health magazine and, and constantly seeking that body, but never having it, you know, fully or never being able to hold on to it. That's for sure. And living in shame and, and then we expect it to be loving and show up for us. 
you know, and I, I just find that so it's, it's interesting that our mind doesn't give the same level of compassion to what is in, internally within us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And even going back to what you were saying, just talking about, you know, the traditional methods that we seek out, like we've really grown up in a system in a society that says, okay, you're not well, you go see somebody first, right? You don't kind of check in with you. The first step is go see a doctor, get treatment, take said treatment, and then you'll be all good. And there's so many things that don't work like that, right? We know that, but it is kind of our standard practice to immediately seek externally when we're going through something, especially a matter of the body and our body not Mm -hmm. working the way that we want it to. Um, And so, you know, there is a lot of opportunity to re-establish trust with ourselves and our bodies. And much to like you said, you know, our bodies are often doing everything that it can to keep us safe. Like our bodies really love us but there can be communications that are just asking us to slow down. And if we can use that time in a way where we're really nourishing and loving ourselves and, and, you know, loving our relationships and being really kind to ourselves, the body's responses can shift. And that's when we start, start to break patterns that we've been in our whole lives. Right. Oh man. Yeah. And it was like, like with her, what was so fascinating is literally that next month she got pregnant. Mm. Like when there was this embodied of peace, but there was also a lot of anger in there that she'd never processed a lot of rage for previous experiences, um, of, of her body, you know? And so the breadth of how emotion really affects us about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to understand at what point did you notice the pieces coming together or did the bleeding stop on its own? Like all of that kind of stuff. So the bleeding stopped and that came with its own sort of set of emotions because there was this, you know, fear now living in the body of feeling a bit like that experience was quite traumatizing. And when is it Mm. going to come back? Is it going to come back? Okay. I did so many things. I don't actually know what worked quote unquote, like (laughs) what was it? Cause it wasn't all of it, right. It wasn't, it wasn't one thing it became. And then, you know, there was a, a moment where I did feel this like exhale from my body. And and I think it's so hard to describe it. Anybody that's been through anything chronic, whether it's of the body or the heart or, you know, I do feel like I had this moment where my whole body just exhaled. And I kind of took a look around and realized that that experience had become this blueprint for the life that I'd been trying to create like it gave me this permission to start laying the foundation of how I wanted to live my life because I wasn't in this like escaping way of being anymore. So all of a sudden I'm, you know, essentially healed quote unquote again. Um, But I'm looking around and it was actually the pathway that helped me create the life that I'd been wanting to live. Like I was taking Mm -hmm. such beautiful care of my body. My relationships were thriving. I quit my job, started a new business. Um, You know, there was a lot that had to die and fall away, but it was ready. And so all of a sudden I felt like I was in this like spring season of my life and I had essentially come out of some really deep, dark shadows and into the light again, but at the same time was so lovingly tending to some of the dark parts of me. Like I was no longer scared of who I was. I mean, we all have our bad days. I'm not going to say that I'm, (laughs) you know, a perfect human. However, the end goal was always to stop bleeding. And then I realized now I was in the middle of the journey. Like that was, Mm. that was the gateway but it ending was actually this like extension of this new path, this new way of life. And, and I always say to people, I say to my friends all the time, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't have an easy out. And I did essentially, I could have taken the pill, but I really didn't feel like I had that. And so I walked the path and looking back now through all the pain and, and how hard it was, it was so worth it. Mm. And it has inspired me to do this work with other people because I, I've now had the lived experience of it being a different way and knowing that the end result actually often isn't, you know, the whole essence of what we're going through. Yeah. What you think you want or what you think you need isn't actually what you needed. You know, that idea that your what is seemingly your greatest pain is actually where your joy sits too. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like what a beautiful experience for people to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've certainly turned towards some deep shit that you come out and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. like who knew? Who knew? Yeah. And I mean, there still is the intention of wanting to become a mother one day, but, or not, but, and right now I feel really at peace with the relationship that I'm building with myself and with my husband and us being a family. And if that extends into us having a child, it's just a bonus, a really loved bonus that we're pouring a lot of intention into, but it's given us the space and time to say, okay, we're on this journey. You know, we're not in the position to expedite it. And now we've really taken that time and allowed it to be filled with a lot of love and intention. Well, thank you so much for sharing like such a beautiful story. I feel honored that, and I'm sure all the people listening, oh my gosh, there's quite a few uh, are, are going to have some really beautiful takeaways. I'm, I'm curious for someone who is struggling, whether they're male, female, you know, looking at their fertility, um, what is it that you first, like when they're going down that journey, um, and even actually in the context, it doesn't matter if it's just fertility, but obviously those things would come up or lack of fertility based on gender, you know, and Mm -hmm. everything in between that would come up. So curious, what do you recommend for people when they're starting? Hmm. I always, always, always recommend that when we're starting in the fertility journey, we really take a look at the word fertility and we start to kind of rewrite what that word means to us because essentially our fertility is so many different parts of us, right? We, we tend to save that word for creating life externally and having a baby. But, um, I always like to say, you know, rewrite what this journey means to you take time with Mm. yourself connect to yourself because the end goal is always a feeling right like we want to become mothers because we want to have this feeling we want to have something to love we want to you know create that relationship or build our families but i always like to offer it back and just say you know what is the relationship that you have with yourself asking of you right now You know, how can you actually nourish yourself from a different place and really start to reframe, you know, everything that you feel like you learned about the fertility journey in your life and really make it individualized to you because there is not one path for everyone and everybody is worthy of feeling really whole in themselves um, on that journey. Mm. The question that comes up for me when thinking about like wanting to birth something externally, I instantly think like, what have we not birthed from within ourselves authentically, like a version of us, the real us? Because of course that lays down the framework to be at peace with oneself, Mm -hmm. you know? I'm sure that the space you hold for the people that you work with is such a, like the ability for them to see themselves in you as having come from where you came from to being at peace, like you can really tell just like I'm seeing her for those people listening mm-hmm. and you can just tell that she's just sitting in such a, like a Buddha, just chilling and just calm with what is. So thank you for sharing that. It's such an energetic inspiration. Thank you, Mark. So for the people listening, where do they find more of you? Um, so my business is called Humble Wild Wellness. You can find me on Instagram. I love giving free information and guides so that you can connect to your cycle and yourself and really learn about everything that is your birthright. Um, and you can go to the link in my bio and see some of my upcoming programs that I have coming up this spring. Sweet. And for, so as a, in being in, having been in, I'm in a heterosexual relationship and my partner, my previous partner, Um, I would get notifications of her cycle. So I recommend to anyone who is in relationship with someone who has a cycle, get to know what that means for them and where they're at. Because it was incredibly um, insightful to be welcomed into the world of information where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I don't understand why she's going through this right now. And then I'd get this email that was like, hey, your partner's in phase two right now. 
she's feeling extra randy. She'll like surprises, you know? And I'm like, Ooh, thank you for the reminder. You know? So I really found it to be incredible. So I, I encourage anyone to take an active and participatory and increase your awareness about cycles, even if you don't get one. Mm-hmm. Yes. My husband learned a lot about the cycle throughout my journey and oh, yeah. it's been such an incredible connection for the two of us so that we can really understand what's going on underneath the surface. So that's so great. I actually don't know about that app. So I would like to know. <laughs> uh, it was called, I think it's called my flow. Okay. Yeah. I've heard yeah. Of that one. Yeah. I think that's what it was called. And I would get the emails. It was so fantastic. I really appreciated the information um, and the reminder of like, uh, neither of you understand what's going on right now. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, Whew. Um, thank you so much for the work you do in the world and for, you know, turning what is seemingly was your mess into your message and into the gifts that you bring into the world. And I'm sure that will continue to evolve. I've, um, since the moment I met you years, a couple years ago now, um, I've just always been inspired by your kind heart. That, that was obvious the moment I met you. So thank you for sharing it here today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.